Okay, at this time I'd like to introduce our first speaker, uh, Estelita C. from New York. Aloha, Narcotics Anonymous, and welcome to Hawaii's World Convention. I'm going to take off my watch so I can watch my time. It's great to be here. I've been having a wonderful time and meeting a lot of wonderful people, and I have to say that I am nervous. My name is Estelina, and I'm an addict. Oh, my God. Thank you. I told you I was nervous. When I was asked to speak on this topic, I called my sponsor right away, and I told her, and she said, wow, God really has a sense of humor. And I agree with her, because as far back as I can remember, I've always had a problem uh, trust with trust. It started from when I was a little girl. Um, my mother entrusted me to a family that was supposed to protect me, make sure that I got home from school. It was supposed to be a safe place for me to go. And uh, while I was there, my innocence was taken away from me, and my whole life changed. At that point, I was abused. I also had problems uh, in my environment. I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, and I'm light-skinned. <laughs> and um, I had problems being rejected by my peers. Um, my mother also didn't allow me to go outside and play with everyone. So people thought that I thought I was better than, but they didn't know that I was undergoing a very strict, rigid, religious upbringing. Um, I also had someone in my family that was being very abusive to me. I don't know what his problem was, but on a daily basis, I was told how stupid I was, how fat I was, how ugly I was, and how dumb I was. And that created a lot of problems for me. Um, and what the religion did for me was it, it, it gave me a lot of confusion. See, my mother was a beautiful and still is. She's still here, thank God, today. A wonderful person. But what she was doing was teaching me to live in the hereafter. She wasn't teaching me how to live here. You know, she taught me to be loving and forgiving and pray for those that hurt you and turn the other cheek. And so... I grew up, I didn't fight back, I was very humble, I was very docile, very meek, that's what they taught us to be, to sort of like, you know, be more considerate of other people instead of being considerate of yourself. And so, as a result, I didn't know how to make decisions based on who I would allow into my life. A lot of people felt privileged because I was the type of person that I would, if you listen to me, I would give you my pain. And so they thought, like, wow, you know, I really feel special that you would tell me that, not realizing that I was in so much pain, I had to tell somebody, you know. Um, through the pain, years later, I met a, a good friend of mine. She ended up being like a sister. We had a 30-year relationship. I met her in a home because... You know, I started acting out after a while. The good little Christian girl had gone bad, and I started acting out. And I started looking for love in all the wrong places because I wanted to be accepted. Nobody was accepting me, and I was real hurt, and that was, like, really, really, really painful. And this angel came into my life, man, in this home that I was in for unwed mothers. And she, um... My heart. I'm real loyal about my friendship, and she was the best friend I ever had. I call her my sister. Anything that she did for herself, she did for me. She took me to her family. She was so scared that when she took, because she came out of like a family of seven people, and she was so scared that um, when her family met me that they were going to chase me away because I was very quiet. I only spoke if you said something to me or if you opened up to me. And she took me to her family, and they loved me. To this day, they still love me. Well, to make a long story short, my sister died two years ago. And I thought that I could never live without her. But these wounds prove, man. I've seen people go through death. I've seen people go through illnesses. And I, you know, I know my sister is here today. As nervous as I am, I know she's here telling me, Lita, you can do it. You know, don't worry about it. 
you know, I got your back, you can do it. And that was my, she has never violated me. That was like my friend to the end. I could tell her anything. We did everything. We were bad for each other at one point because we used to get high together. And, um, and I used to be scared, like when I was high off of that coke. And I'm like, Beverly, I'm scared. I was a real, like, docile person. And she used to hold my hand and she said, come on, let's pray, Lita. And we would pray in the middle of, you know, like being skied up, you know. <laughs> And I said, okay, you know, I said, well, now, you know, I'm shaking. You know, she said, well, come on, let's lay down. And we would lay down in the bed. And that was my sister, straight up, you know. And we would lay down, and, and she would just comfort me. And that was my girl, you know. And I am so grateful for that relationship because she was there when I needed her. After that, I came into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, and I was scared to death. I didn't come in, you know, I went into a detox and they was calling me the little rich girl, you know, because I had weight, I still had my job, you know, I used to tell people, I, you know, I was very economical and I portioned out my drugs, you know what I'm saying, I got started getting high in 79 in D.C. And I got high with educated people, right, so, you know, me, all right, feeling, always feeling like the dummy was like, well, they smart, you know, they're doing this, we were freebasing, whatever. And I used to portion everything out and make it last and whatever, so I still kept my kids in private school, I still kept my job, but I was emotionally bankrupt, you know, and I came into meetings and I was afraid and I was in isolation because who do I trust, you know, I know, you know, people were talking about things that, that I didn't even do. You know, I never put a whole vowel in the thing. I never did that. I chopped it up into little pieces, and I made it last all night. You know, and when I came in there and I heard that, I was like, damn, you know, it took me like two years, and I was raising my hand, you know, like this in the back. And one day this guy, you know, he said to me, man, get up and gangster your way. You know, so, you know, just jump up and wave your hand, you know, and that's what I had to start doing to start getting picked on because people were looking at me like, she ain't no real addict, what's she doing here, blah, 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 and I would share, you know, and it would be like my story wasn't heavy enough, so I went out there and tried to make it heavier. Okay, so anyway, after a while, I started going to a woman's meeting, and I met, and, and I went there one day, and I was screaming from the top of my lungs. Like, why the hell won't people just get to know me instead of looking at the outside? See, I never saw whatever it was that y'all saw because I was told that I was stupid, I was fat, I was ugly, and I was never going to be nothing, okay? And I'm in here yelling in this meeting and crying, and at the end of the meeting, this woman came up to me and told me, I want to get to know you. That woman became my sponsor, and is still my sponsor 12 years later. Yvonne M., I love you. And um, we developed a friendship. I didn't trust her either <laughs> until she told me she was a nurse. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can't take her in the house. <laughs> I was happy because then I knew I was going to get some genuine love, right, and concern. And um, we developed a friendship. We have more than a sponsor, sponsor relationship with family. Her family is my family. My family is her family. Uh, my children are her children. Her children are my children. Although sometimes I want to whip that, you know what? <laughs> but I have to step back and I let Aunt Kathy do it. <laughs> And, um, you know, we've been through some things in our relationship, but never nothing that could separate our relationship. There have been times that I've gone through some heavy things in Narcotics Anonymous, really, really heavy. You know, they teach us to come in here and talk about how we feel. You take a risk every time you do that. Anonymity is supposed to be the spiritual foundation of our traditions. And sometimes, you just like you got good, you got bad. And not just here, it, you know, at your job anyway. I mean, you know, at work I'm fighting and going through stuff with people for the same thing because of this, this wall that's in front of everybody. That they, they just can't get past this. And um, um, where was I going with that? I lost myself. Um, so anyway, 
me and my sponsor, she, okay, so I shared some things, and I ended up getting hurt. Some people used what I shared to, to really, really hurt me. And my sponsor had to walk me, literally talk to me, and I was in the fetal position. And I cried. There were days I couldn't get out of bed. I was real sick. I ended up losing a lot of weight. And um, she walked me through that situation. And she's been, you know, a really, really, really good friend to me. I also had a, another friend in Narcotics Anonymous that was um, that I got formed a really close relationship with. I'm trying to slow my stuff down. I feel my adrenaline pumping. I hope I'm not talking too fast. And um, this person was also very, very close to me, someone that I never thought would not be in my life. Um, she and I did everything together like me and my sponsor. But we did things separately. We had a nine-year relationship. She has about nine years clean now. And, um, you know, I shared everything that I, you know, all my dirty secrets she knew. All her secrets I knew. When we felt like we wanted to use, we would rescue each other. There were times that I was, like, really not feeling being in Narcotics Anonymous and just wanted to alleviate the pain, and she was there for me. And there were times that we were trying to stop smoking cigarettes, and we were there for each other. Um, she got married, and I was in her wedding, and we went to church together. As I said, I was raised in a very disciplined religion, and so I had problems getting a higher power uh, when I came here. For me, what I use is a good orderly direction. I come down, and I sit in, and I listen to how people get through a day at a time what they're going through and that's what keeps me clean that's my higher power but uh, me and this girl did a lot of things together so she took me to church and I come my church was like a real conservative church you know they barely said amen this is how close me and this girl was right she got me in the church jumping up screaming and shouting and crying and thank you and you know, snot flying and tears and we hugging each other and we spinning around and next thing I know, you know, they were trying to put me on the ground and I'm matricing all the way down, you know, I'm like, I'm not going. <laughs> you know, but I appreciate what they were trying to do because I was in a lot of pain at that time. But I say that to say how deep my relationship it was with her. I never let anybody get me to that point where I would be that open because I, I didn't grow up with that openness. And um, she had events at her house, you know, um, eventually she ended up getting married. You know, we were single together at times. We had relationships together at times. And she met someone. She ended up marrying him. And she went through a really serious hard time in the room. And, like, I had her back. I'm like, nobody's going to mess with you. I don't even care what you did was wrong, right? And I would go with her to me. And so she was scared. And we would come in there like little DL gangsters, right? <laughs> And um, I had a back, man, and I love this girl. She, I, To me, we had like a parental, child parental. She made me feel like a little girl. She made me feel special. She told me the things that I needed to hear. You're beautiful. She used to see me. She used to say, hey, pretty girl, and, you know, I love you, and you look so beautiful. And she would just hug me and kiss me, and it would just, just light up my life and give me all the energy that I needed. Plus, she was a teacher. And I was, you know, I grew up in special ed classes, and people hate when I say that, because all that was from was from the negative messages that I got. I'm really not a special ed. I, you know, I might be special, but I'm not a special ed student. <laughs> and um, she was a teacher, so I really admired her for that. I looked up to her. She was a great mother. Her son was doing very well in school got scholarships to good colleges and everything, and she ended up, her and her husband, bought a beautiful home in another state and inviting me out there, and um, I ended up hooking up with some friends of hers out there, and we started developing a relationship, and uh, the girl one day said to me, I feel, and I have something to share with you, I'm feeling like I'm uncomfortable in this relationship with you and her, I feel like I'm in the middle, I'm uncomfortable, and there's something that you need to know. And I'm like, well, what is it? I just met you. What could it possibly be? She said, well, you know, if I tell you this, it's going to hurt you. And I said, well, I, I can't see. She said, you know, I don't feel that close to your friend or our friend because I don't like the way she talks about her friend. So immediately I went to defend her and say, well, she never says nothing bad about you, not thinking that I was the one 
that she was talking bad about, but it could never, ever, ever be me. I mean, I know that she said some things to me about her friends, but you my friend. So if, you know, you're going through something with your friend and you're telling me it's okay, I'm not going to share it with anybody because my loyalty is to you. If you need to get that off your chest, it's fine with me. So, um, you know, I never thought it was me, but anyway, it ended up being it ended up being me. The girl ended up telling me some things that I know I told my friend that were very um, private and painful. Uh, some things that are haunting me, you know, in my life. Some some other situations, you know, eating and whatever. Much worse than that. But the thing that hurt me the most is when the girl told me that she said that I was a psychotic. Grungy B that needed a bullet in my head. That was very dangerous words to my heart. And the girl said to me that she talks bad about all her friends, but when she talks about you, it's the most dangerous. And I had no idea where this was coming from. Somebody said to me, couldn't you see it? Did you ever? I said, no, I never saw it. I, I loved her. I loved her. I never saw it. I believed in her. You know, you could never tell me that she would say that. Eventually, she admitted that she said it. And um, all I was left to do was to devour that, cut off that relationship and, and move on with my life. But it was very, very painful. I started asking out. I wanted to leave Narcotics Anonymous. I wasn't trusted nobody. I was even questioning my relationship with my sponsor. I was questioning my relationship with my family, with my friends, with my children. He got married. He was in an interracial marriage. Oh, she don't like me because yada, 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 because she had the baby and she wouldn't talk to me on the phone. I was just going crazy. You know, I had lost all faith in Narcotics Anonymous. I wanted to leave. And then something came. I know my sponsor was still trying to talk to me and still telling me how much she loves me. And, you know, when the good is in front of you, you don't see it. You only see that one bad thing, you know. My sponsor has been supporting me 12 years. She's here to support me, and whatever I do, she's there for me, good, bad, or indifferent, no matter what. And, um, you know, so the little voice finally came, and it said that you can't give up. You can't quit because somebody walked out or doesn't think that you're valuable enough to be in their life or because somebody views you as whatever. Whatever it may be, whether it was jealousy, whether it was envy, because now I had started coming up in the world. I wasn't maybe her little baby. I started acquiring some of the things that she had, but I was never, ever jealous about her. I loved her, you know. And and, and what I'm learning today is that people got to earn their way into your life, man. But, here's the but, <laughs> Narcotics Anonymous teaches us to come in here and talk about what we feel. And it takes risks to become vulnerable and to open yourself up to people to come here and have the courage to share things that people might want to take in and use against you. But, when you take that risk, you just might find it gone. Somebody's genuinely loves you, but if you don't take that risk, you'll never know. So if people want to take what you say to try and hurt you, like they say in New York. I don't know if I said I was from Brooklyn, New York. I don't know what I said when I got up here. Brooklyn in the house. <laughs> but you take that risk and you do what you got to do because you can't save your face and your behind at the same time. You know, I'm a very private person. I have a lot of shame about a lot of things, and I don't want everybody to know what I did. I don't want everybody to know that I'm not as pretty as these beautiful flowers out here. <laughs> you know, but the strength comes in that that situation was removed from my life before any more damage could be done. I forgive her, as my mother taught me to do, but I won't allow her back into my life. She had her time. Now it's time to let somebody new come in. You know, I'm learning to trust in my intuition, to trust in myself. As the more work that I do here, the more work that I come up here, I can't tell you how nervous I was. My heart was beating and my fiancé was holding me in his arms. 
You know, he has taught me so much about human nature. I came in here, I tell you, I was naive because of my religion. And I, I, I really, like, somebody told me today, just before the meeting started, you know, when they told me that I had to, like, get honest or, you know, talk about how I feel, I thought it was about you, not me, <laughs> you know. I came in here open. It's like, but y'all told me to talk about how I feel, you know, and we have to do that. We have, I don't care what goes on in your life, who comes, who goes, still take that risk. If you're, I came in here in utter desperation, wanted to be loved. And if you're if feeling that desperation, don't hold it in, let it go. Let it go and take a risk to move forward in your life. You know, I know that it works. The hope for me is that when I come here and I hear, like I said, other people share their experience, strength, and hope, and how they made it from one day to another, when I see someone that has been told and that told that they've got an illness that is supposedly going to take them out, and I see them come up here and stand strong and talk about how they're living today and how they're not dying today, it shows me that the program is working. I can learn to trust in the program and in the people that I watch every day. I can learn to trust in myself that I can make decisions. But I had to go through these situations to be able to understand that now, you know what? And I did. I believe I did everything that I had to do to develop these relationships. But I was still, you know, I have to take a look at the part that I, I, I'm, I'm open. I'm a little more open than I should be. But I'm here. I'm a power of the example of Narcotics Anonymous as it stands today, September 1st, 2005. Today is my clean date. I celebrate 14 years clean. <laughs> With that, I'd like to say mahalo and thanks for letting me share. Okay, uh, at this time I'd like to uh, uh, I'd like to introduce our second speaker, uh, Hamish A. from New Zealand, please. Yeah. Uh, I'm Hamish, and I'm an addict. Um, happy birthday, Salida. Congratulations on 14 years clean. Um, thanks everyone for coming. The room's filled up quite a bit since I sat down. Um, so learning to trust. Um, Scott just said to me, you know, um, the um, something about <laughs> what I could say um, could save someone's life, and um, it kind of puts it in the context of. Um, how important it is to learn to trust and um, how important it was for me to learn to trust and trust the narcotics anonymous but trust um, exponentially. Um, I'll just start my story. It's too, <laughs> too many people here. The, um, <laughs> um, so I got clean in New Zealand. I live in New Zealand. I'm uh, grateful member of um, the New Zealand Fellowship and um, there's addicts down there who are getting clean, it's amazing. Um, I can't be- <laughs> I can't believe I'm clean, you know, I can't believe I'm, I'm 17 years clean. <laughs> and, and, uh, how, how does that happen? How does an addict get 17 years clean? Well, I guess that's my story. You know, I came here and um, I um, came from a different kind of a background um, where I thought I trusted everyone and um, wondered why everyone kept... Um, um, nice word, nice word. Oh, fucking me over, you know. <laughs> Just kept happening. Same old, same old. You know, you do the same old things, the same old things will happen. And what I found when I came here was that um, people were very loving. Couldn't work out why. Wondered what they wanted. But people were very loving and very accepting of, of me. And um, 
my friend read it. My friend read at home and is um, he just sit me down and we go for coffee and a little self-acceptance pamphlet that's now pink it used to be a white one and he would just bring it out on the table and he used to just keep doing that just keep doing it every time we went out for coffee and it would be there when he went so I had to take it home and you can't leave it in the coffee shop you know. <laughs> um, and he sort of taught me about trying to accept myself accept myself as an addict you know, it was important, but also as a man, as a as a gay man, as a sexually abused man, um, as many things that I, I was that I didn't really understand because I already had all these ideas about who I was and um, most of them weren't founded on reality. They were founded on a whole pattern and set of circumstances that it meant that I'd created a whole other pattern and set of circumstances to deal with them which again weren't based on reality. So when I came here I had to learn a whole new a whole new book, you know, the narcotics anonymous book and using the steps and finding out that as an addict I wasn't the scum of the earth, I wasn't a bad person, I was just a, a person who had learned a whole new um, a whole set of certain and a whole way of coping mechanisms that weren't going to serve me well. I was um, pretty alone in my life. I had thousands of friends. I had a fantastic job. I was the HR manager of a hotel. Um, everything on the outside was looking good. Um, well, I kind of thought so <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but in reality, I just felt like death, you know. I felt terrible. I just wanted to kill myself all the time. And I was even, I remember trying to snort amyl one night, you know, amyl nitrate, I think you caught poppers. Trying to snort poppers to kill myself. I had such a bad, bad headache. Oh, it was so bad. It was such a horrible night. I remember it. So, learning to trust when I came in. Um, I've got to say that the thing that I had to learn to trust was that the first thing was that you guys were telling the truth. And that what I saw was real. Because when I came into the meetings, straight away I got a sense of um, who people were. And that uh, I, I felt that. Um, I felt a sense of compassion. I felt a lot for people's pain. I felt kind of more for people, other people's pain and my own pain. And it took some time for me to become accessible to that. For me to be able to find out what my story was and stop living through everyone else's. I was a good little codependent, I think. So, um, so I had to learn to trust that. I had to trust that the steps were going to work. Oh my God! How can anyone believe that the steps work? You know, I'm no intellectual giant. In fact, I'm the opposite. But what I found was that um, I could see that they could work. But I had to learn about the, the um, second step before I could work the first step. There was no way that I was going to let go and admit powerlessness until I'd checked out the other side. You know. <laughs> Even before I admitted I was gay, I found out, you know, well, my brother said to me, are you sure you're gay? I was 18 at the time, and I said, well, yeah, I think so. And he said, well, you ever slept with a woman? And I said, no. <laughs> and I, he said, well, how do you know? And I said, well, have you ever slept with a man? And he says, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I never, but I thought, well, okay, I'll try it, you know, so... I made sure that the woman I had um, intimate relationships with knew that I was gay and that I was shopping, as it were, so, <laughs> so that they weren't used or anything. But I even tried that out, you know, so I thought I'd try it out. And Anyway, I was fortunate enough that I had good friends who were willing to help out in that category. <laughs> you know, when you come up to share sometimes and you start sharing and you think, where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm just going to move on from that, you know. <laughs> I'm 100% homosexual. <laughs> and it's no fault of the woman who... <laughs> I thought we were moving on. <laughs> you know, the little voices sometimes, you just shouldn't let them run right. So... You shouldn't trust the little voices. I learned a wonderful saying now, and it's always check out the source of your information. Always check out the source of your information. I, I do uh, think that it's a valuable gift that, you know, 
is um, if you're trying to learn about trust and learning how to trust, is check out the source of the information. My head, given left on its own, um, with me in the room, <laughs> sounding scary already. <laughs> I've heard it, you know. It's like the hood, you shouldn't go there alone, you know. I don't know what part of town is the bad one, wherever we are. Where are we? <laughs> Hawaii, that's right. Wherever we are, we shouldn't go there, you know. It's not good to go to my head alone. And what I've found is that, you know, if I work the steps, then I can get freedom from the insanity. It didn't happen quickly for me. When I first got clean, I spent a lot of the time beating myself up. I was beating myself up. I was never going to be good enough. And it came from similar messages to you. I remember my old man even telling me, I don't know, I must have been a few years clean and I'd gone to see my parents. And, you know, I love my parents dearly, but they, as parents, they were particularly good parents. I'm the youngest of six children. And I remember my dad, you know, and I'm not, I'm not fat, you know, I'm just a, I'm a 43-year-old guy now and it's starting to show. But he said, you know, he always used to call me fatty. And I used to think, you know, why does he call me fatty? And I mean, when I was, before I got clean, I'd spent years taking laxatives because of all the sexual abuse and everything. I was trying to make myself clean inside because I always felt dirty. And I always thought that, you know, it helped me stay a bit thinner as well. And I always thought that that might be better. And self-obsession is a nasty thing. It's a, it's a, it isolated me and made me always feel less than. So the gift of the steps, and going back to that lovely old second step, the, for me learning to work them with my sponsor was another one. So actually I've, I've got mixed up in my story, because before I could even trust my sponsor I had to trust God. And kind of before I could even trust God I had to trust myself. So it was really, it's kind of weird talking about it, because I've never really talked about trust like this in the context of a meeting. So forgive me for my jumbledness. The thing that I find is that I had to know that I was going to stay clean for the next little while. And I stayed clean five minutes at a time. You know, if you want to stay clean and it's difficult, five minutes is enough. Five minutes is enough. And I'd say, I've just got to stay clean for the next five minutes. And, you know, I would think to myself, God, if I'd used five minutes ago, because I don't know what you were like at the end of your using, but five minutes later I was always pissed off I'd just used. So five minutes wasn't very long. So five minutes I just had to stay clean for the next five minutes. And then I would reflect back and think, if I'd used five minutes ago, how would I be feeling now? So it wouldn't be any better. And then I had to think about all the things that I used to do to myself to make myself feel bad. Shame was a big part of my story. So if I could stop doing the things that caused me grief, then maybe I could learn to trust myself just that little bit. And if I could see that I wasn't the worthless piece of snot that I thought I was, then maybe, just maybe, um, I could see that there could be a God that loved and cared me. Warts and all, warts and all. Then, of course, my relationship with my sponsor came in, and, you know, my sponsor's a straight Catholic man from the suburbs. And um, how on earth... Was I going to trust a straight guy? No. I hated straight men. I'd been a, I was a fag before I was anything else as far as I was concerned. And I'd been treated so badly by more straight people than I like to remember. But, you know, it's also a program of forgiveness and I had to get off my hobby horse and move on. And I had the, the gift of desperation as well. So that, you know, if I had to go to some straight Catholic boy to get well and I was going to have to go to some straight Catholic boy to get well. And I think that, you know, he, for all my, I don't know if you know much about being gay, but we're not particularly a savoury community at the best of times. <laughs> we, we do stuff that some straight people would find repugnant, and my sponsor took it all on, I can't really say that, can you? Took it all on the chin, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be mortified. He took it all in his stride, we'll say. <laughs> it's safer. He took it all in his stride and um, he didn't reject me. He just kept loving me and Red was always there, my friend in recovery. Red is another straight man, you know. All, all, my, all my really good friends are in recovery. Um, and they, he supported me through as well. So my sponsor's kind of in there. I'm able to work the steps and gain freedom. 
So that's pretty much how it worked in, in the regard to that. The third step for me, you know, um, is that I had to always remember that I'd just made a decision. Hmm, made a decision. I made that decision, remember. Painted the door purple as a result of it, you know. I'm a great believer in things have to be visual, and it's kind of nice to put a ritual around them as well. So if you're going to do the third step, plant a tree, you know. Marry someone, no, I won't marry someone. Get a tattoo if you really have to. <laughs> I don't have any tattoos. <laughs> well, I thought about getting one today, I must say. <laughs> Out there in the sun, and they're all glistening away, looking fabulous and kind of raunchy. And <laughs> But I'll probably work my program and not do that one. <laughs> not today. So, um, is, um, the third step you can, but the third step you can do something, rearrange the furniture in your house or something, make it real so that then you can remember that, you know, I found it beneficial to always be able to remember that, oh, that's right, I took the third step. It doesn't say that we took the third step, that we handed our life and our will over to God and we did it and then we never have to do it again. It doesn't say anything. All it says is that we made a decision to turn our life and our will over to God. And then I remember, oh, the purple door, that's right, I did make that decision. Silly me, I forgot. Yep, it's me and God, it's not just me. Oh, okay. Because I don't need any more reason to beat myself up. So, you know, the purple door tells me that I made that decision. Remember, remember, remember. Made the decision, let it go, let it go. It's kind of a nice, gentle program. And that's what I learned, was as I learned about the program, is that it is a gentle program about love and care. So, me and God, hmm, gay man. New Zealand, pretty pretty accepting country. I, lo- I love living in New Zealand as an out gay man. I work in a, um, I now work as a, um, I manage a, a, a hostel for backpackers and travellers and things. And you know, I put the the traditions into the to the work that I do in terms of we have a primary purpose, and we don't try to stray from that. And we also work on the principles of love and care as well. So the traditions in doing service and everything and the fellowship has served me very well. But what I've found about me and God is that, you know, that God is just loving and caring and a power greater than me. It's not some dude on a cloud, you know. It's not someone who's judging me sitting on the head of the bed or the end of the bed watching me. It's a bit of a horrible thing to think that God's got that kind of time. I'd like to think he was sorting out some of you guys, <laughs> giving me a break. No. The God of my understanding is just loving and caring and greater than me. So that takes a lot of the acid off as well, and it makes the whole program a lot safer. So it also makes it a lot easier to trust, because the God isn't an extension of my ego. It's not judging me, and it's not giving me a hard time. So if God's giving you grief, it's because I've got in the way. You know, I've started to think, think think, end of story, that's all I've started to do, think, <laughs> I've forgotten to check out the source of my information. And the fourth step for me was a, was a journey, a two and a half year um, journey of writing. And my poor sponsor, you know, when I did my fifth step, but the fourth step for me was, um, it was a journey where as I continued to write and had faith and trust the process of Narcotics Anonymous that I would get free, I got free. So how did that happen? How can it happen just from writing? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. You've got to do it and find out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The longer I stay clean, the less I understand this program. But what I do know is the more I have faith that it works. So the fourth step for me, writing, 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 and it was, for me it was like billboards as I went down this little road. You know, and this billboard would come up and said, that's where I stopped trusting. Hmm. Hmm. So is that valid for me today? That billboard, is that particular billboard? No, I'm an adult now. I'm no longer that child, so that's no longer valid. So okay, so we can push that aside and we can move on to the next one. You know, two and a half years of writing, I'll tell you it was a book. Um, I find it was in good English. <laughs> it was very badly written, but anyway, that's another story. The um, thing is that I found is that, you know, cruising along, I found that there was a whole lot of stuff that wasn't true. So again, checking out the source of your information is beneficial, and the fourth step is a great cleansing house. The fifth step, well, we hung out on a riverbed for quite a few weekends, 
and my sponsor lying on the grass and I'm sure he was sleeping, but who cares? I don't care. It was hours reading that crap too. I mean, <laughs> and I was grateful for the opportunity to share. You know, so the fifth step for me was you know, a draining of the swamp. Sixth step. Oh, the worst step on the planet. I hate the sixth step. I still don't have fond memories, but I do have a healthy respect. The sixth step for me was about, I felt like a walking character defect. So when I was walking around as a character defect, feeling just like the scum of you, because I did that again, straight away I felt really bad about myself. There wasn't anything that I could do that seemed to be right, because all my character defects were just glaringly obvious, and taking the time to find out how they impacted on my life didn't really, it didn't feel good. But the benefit was, thank God, is the seventh step, because the seventh step for me um, was the way I worked it. I don't know how you guys work it. I don't know how everyone works it. I haven't heard how some people work it. Is by um, looking at the character defects and transferring them back to assets, so looking at the reverse of them. And that I found great joy. I found a lot of joy. It's like when people say to you, you know, if, um, if you see a character defect about somebody in particular, um, that they are... If they're judgmental, then it means that I'm being judgmental, you know. If they're being um, controlling, then I'm being controlled, all that sort of stuff, you know, all that stuff. And what I found was that if we see that, that's great, I'm willing to take the shit, that's no problem. I can take it and say, well, yeah, that's me. But I also have to be willing to say, when I see someone who's beautiful... And when I see that in someone else, that I must possess some of that within myself. And if I see things in character assets within other people, I must have some of those within myself as well. And that gave me great comfort. So the seventh step I found much more enjoyable. The eighth step, the eighth step's a gift. Oh my God, what an opportunity. Just to make the list, I've done the draining of the swamp. I've seen those big ugly stumps and things that I can... I can write down and see who I've harmed. But I found that, you know, as someone who used to give myself more grief than I gave most other people on the planet because I was too scared and just wanted to be invisible most of the time, I had to give it to myself. And the way I do that is by still coming to Narcotics Anonymous, by still sharing my story and by sharing my truth. By giving myself a chance to continue to live as a clean man. You know. My parents, um, you know, I spoke about them earlier. And recently I had the opportunity to see myself on video um, where I was, um, oh God, I was at work and we were doing stuff and we had the Prime Minister come and reopen our building and um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand and she is so way cool. She's really cool. And I saw myself with her because of video, one of the staff videotaped it and um, I've got to say, when you see yourself on video, it's a whole new opportunity for growth. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> now, I tell you, I'm an out gay man. I don't think there's any more out gay men outer than me. I am just so flappy and so gay, it's not funny. But <laughs> you see yourself on video? Oh, it was a lesson. I couldn't believe how flappy and gay I really, really was. <laughs> so it's um, brought me a whole new level of self-acceptance. Thank you, God. <laughs> what I saw was that, you know, here's me with the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and she doesn't give him monkeys how much of a flappy queen I am. She doesn't care. She just was loving and caring towards me. And then I think back at all my friends and my colleagues, my workmates, I'm the manager of this place, and I am, blah, 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 blah you know, I, that's who I am, you know. That's who I am, but they don't care. Hmm, so why should I care? Why should I care? Why should that worry me? Why should I be so homophobic about myself? You know, I never knew I was. But when I see myself, I really had, I really still had some stuff there, I'm sure of it. And then what I thought about was, oh my God, mum and dad. Mum and dad in the country. Now, I live in the city. Flappy Queen is fine. Go to the country, Flappy Queen. Not so happy about sun coming home. <laughs> so what I found was that I now have to look through mum and dad's eyes at me. Oh my God, you know, that must have been interesting for them. <laughs> Having a, you know, as I am. You go figure. Poor old mum and dad in the country. But what I've found is that they don't care. 
they really don't care. They love me, love me, love me. They couldn't love me anymore, and they couldn't show it any more than they already do. So I tell you, you know, I've had a whole... Every year in Alcoholics Anonymous, it can't get any better. Let me tell you, it can't get any better. Whatever you're having right now, it could never get any better. But it does. (laughs) Every single year I've got clean, it's got better. In ways that I never knew about. Because what happens is, because I'm living a spiritual program, I'm not listening to the committee in my head, it gives God a chance. So trust in God. Gives God a chance. Gives God a chance. Hamish has shut the... Gives God a chance. Gives God a chance. I'm not talking, not listening, not playing, not doing, not backing it up anymore. Gives God a chance. So if you're giving God a chance on a daily basis, your life is going to change. So how does it give it, say, year by year? Hmm, giving God a chance. So that's really all my messages. You know, um, I come, I come, uh, I've been travelling and I said to God, last time I came, I went seven weeks travelling and I went to San Diego and I travelled for um, a month in Canada beforehand and, you know, I mean, it's God-given opportunity to travel. God-given opportunity to travel and have most amazing experiences but my head was saying, you know, it's great you're having a good time now, Hamish, because when you get home you're going to kill yourself. And all the time it was doing that, all the way, I'm driving through the Canadian Rockies, just stunning. Stunning. I've been going to meetings along the way, but I haven't been telling anyone about my head. And I got to, I was in Jasper, Lake Louise, Lake Louise, and I just thought, I can't stand this anyway, I have to ring my sponsor home, you know. We need to have a chat. <laughs> my head is trying to kill me, you know. It says. Actually, the subtext to that is that when I got to Calgary, I went to a rodeo and I entered in steer riding. <laughs> so I almost got the chance. <laughs> the fact that I couldn't run for 18 months because I ruined my pelvis, you know, it just shows how really entirely stupid I am. <laughs> what happened for me was that I got to the World Convention and I got a bit better and I had another 21 days travelling around in a convertible with another addict, cruising around Arizona, Utah, um, California. Um, there's another one. Where Vegas is in the middle, I can't remember. Nevada. That's right. And I mean, I had an amazing time travelling around. That still little head in the back. You know, you're going to kill yourself when you get home. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sake. The really scary part of my head is that it thinks it can kill me and it can live on. <laughs> <laughs> You go figure. <laughs> I mean, how crazy is that? So what happened this time is I said to God, God, I'm going on a five-week trip this time. We've shortened it a bit. And um, we're going places. We're going to go nice, warm places. And um, I don't want to be alone all the time. I want to have people from home. I know that everyone's lovely, but... I get homesick and I need people from home. I need people who share my culture, who share my language, um, who I can just talk with, who I can just be me with. So I went to, ta- I went to Rarotonga. I went to Atataki, beautiful island, an hour off at Rarotonga. Next thing, Mama running buddies, um, Andrew's there. I got to hang out with Andrew. I get to Rarotonga. Next thing, a friend of mine, David, who wasn't scheduled to be flying off any Zealanders, with Air New Zealand, waiting at the airport for me, got me upgraded to fly with the, in the, the flight deck with the pilot to fly from Rarotonga to Tahiti. Amazing. And then he was there for two days and could hang out with me, come and stay with me in my hotel in Morea, and, um, you know, I'm not on my own. I get to Los Angeles. Larry, a friend of mine, is there. Meets me off the plane. We go and have coffee. Puts me back on the plane. I arrive in, in Canada, in Vancouver. Amazing. I'm not alone. God has taken care of me. Can you see how this happens? I prayed and said, God, I do not want to be alone on this trip. I'm not good company and um, I really just want to be taken care of as well in that regard. Don't, I'm not needy. I don't need everyone to take care of me, but you know, it would be really nice if I had company along the way. I'm a single guy. I get sick of my own company. Get to Canada. 
John and Bernard, friends of mine from home, come and they arrive at a day early as well, so I'm going to get any time on my own. <laughs> By this time I'm thinking, okay God, you've had your chance. I hear ya. You know, I go on a cruise up to Alaska, you know, 1,900 fags on a boat and 62 dikes, thank God. <laughs> Just so the parties don't get too unruly, you know. And then um, come back to Vancouver and his other friends from LA. I mean, I am so loved and taken care of. So who am I to judge? Who am I to doubt God's opportunity to show love and trust, love and care? I mean, who, who am I to judge? Who am I to ever doubt? So I'm just a grateful recovering addict. You know, I'm grateful for the, the trusted servants who put this meeting on, who put the convention on, um, and gave me the opportunity to share with all of you tonight. And congratulations again. Thank you. I'd like to thank both of our speakers again uh, for coming up and sharing their experience with us. I have a friend who's been asked to read uh, Just for Day for us. Could you like to come up? Hi, family. My name is Lenny G. I'm a very blessed, grateful, recovering addict. Just for today. Just for today, my thoughts will be on my recovery living and enjoying life without the use of drugs. Just for today, I will have faith in someone in A who believes in me and wants to help me in my recovery. Just for today, I will have a program. I will try to follow it to the best of my ability. Just for today, through NA, I will try to get a better perspective on my life. Just for today, I will be unafraid. My thoughts will be on my new associations, people who are not using and who have found a new way of life. So long as I follow that way, I have nothing to fear just for today. Thank you. Okay, can we make a circle around the room and we'll close the meeting with the third step first.